We're turning to Luke's Gospel, chapter 3, please. Luke's Gospel, chapter 3. And we're reading from the verse 1 down to verse 9. The Gospel according to Luke and the third chapter. There's not a name here that you're going to read until you come down to the end of verse 2. There's not a name that you'll read here that are not infamous men for their wickedness and for their evil. Job in his ninth chapter says, The earth is given into the hands of the wicked. And J.C. Ryle, the Bishop, ex-bishop of Liverpool said, when you have such uh, leaders and rulers as these, how can you expect the people to be any better? So I want you to read these verses very carefully with me tonight. Now, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Aturia, and of the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, the Tetrarch of Abilene. What a crowd and what a mouthful. Anani, Annas and Caiaphas, being the high priests, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, and make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be brought low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you, that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. And every tree therefore which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And we know that the Lord will bless to us the public reading of his word. When I was about six years old in West Fermanagh, my father took our family, a number of other families, some in the cab and some of the back of an old milk lorry, and he took us to the 
local Church of Ireland church where they were running a fun and games day on the occasion of the celebration of our late Queen being crowned Queen of England. From that day to this, I have been familiar with the monarchy and with the royalty and with the hierarchy of our nation. There was scarcely a home that you would have went into, Protestant home anyway, in West Fermanagh and round the shores of Loch Erne, that there wasn't some reference, some reminder of the Prince Philip and the Queen uh, on that occasion. Mugs and cups and pictures and calendars. Roads were called after them, housing estates were called after them around Fermanagh. And we were constantly reminded all the time. In fact, I was in a home there not so long ago, three weeks ago in Fermanagh, and they had cushions with the royal family on it. And so it was a customary thing to see that at all the time. Now, 71 long years have passed, and we're back again at another coronation. Most people have only seen one, but veterans like myself and a few others in the meeting uh, will, I hope, see two. <laughs> Not, but I hope we will. The change in the past seven decades have been, to say the least, phenomenal. In every area of light, Henry Francis Light, that old Enniskillen Praetorian pupil, wrote in that hymn, that great hymn that he wrote, Abide With Me. And he, he, he makes reference to the changing of time, change and decay all around I see, help of the helpless, abide with me. And surely we do need help. Changes have been so great industrially, technologically, politically, morally, scientifically, militarily, academically, you name it. And these changes are colossal. And not only that, but at breathtaking speed. But there are things that never change and never will change until the King of Kings comes to reign in his everlasting righteous, universal kingdom, and he's going to reign where'er the sun. And well might we sing those words sometimes, I was thinking of them today, of S.B. Gould, when he said, crowns and thrones may perish, and kingdoms rise and wane, but the church of Jesus ever will remain. Now while the title for my meetings, for these May meetings, these four meetings, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, and the days of Charles, king of England, it's not my business to show you the changes that has happened from AD dot to AD 2023. You go into any library or museum, or even the Bible is the best book, and you'll get all the knowledge you know to see of, of the changes that there's been down through these 70 years. That's not my job tonight, nor any other night. 
nor is it my intention either to lambast King Charles or the Queen that's being crowned on Saturday. I respect their position. I respect them uh, as subject of the realm and their statutes and their laws, and we must abide them, providing, of course, that they don't interfere with the Word of God, and they are doing that. And when they do, then we must take a stand. Nor do I blame them for the atrocious state that our nation is in tonight. But let me say this very carefully, as monarchs, custodians and assenters to the legislation that are passed, they hold responsibility and accountability before God. Before God. On Saturday, the new king will swear on the King James Bible. He'll have a ring on his finger with a cross on it. And he will have a, he will have a, a scepter uh, with a dove on the top of it. Well, that's what he should have. And I think that's what the contention's going on about at the minute with them. But that's what he should have. Well, that's what his mother had. And that's what all the other kings had. The ring speaking of the cross and the scepter with the dove speaking of the Holy Spirit. And the oil that they're making all this uh, nonsense about coming from here and coming from there. And all this oil. Another emblem of the Holy Spirit. So there's two emblems of the Holy Ghost and the cross. So you can judge for yourself how far gone the nation is. It was always God's will that we would have kings. Right from the very start, from the king of David, right down through those godly kings that there was, that he, that he ruled up. And he has it in his mind that kings should rule over the people because when we come to the book of Judges, it said every man done right in his own eyes because there was no king in the land in those days. So a king is given to us for leadership and for rulership. And we will be looking at it from that point of view in these nights that go ahead. Now when we speak of the days of Herod, there were six Herods. The first Herod was the father of all, Herod the Great. He was the tyrant that murdered the children when our Lord Jesus was born and he died when our Lord Jesus was four years of age. He was a wicked man, an evil man. And on a, he poisoned and killed some of his wives and on his deathbed he orders his eldest son to be executed. All these Herods that came from him were all wicked and evil men. The Herod that we are dealing mostly with is the Herod that came, Herod Antipas. These are the days that we're talking about. The days that he reigned, he is the one that took the head of John the Baptist. He, 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 he is the one that reigned right through to the death of Christ and after the death of Christ. So we'll forget about the other Herods. And those two Herods are what I'm speaking about when I'm speaking about as it was in the days of Herod, king of Judea. Now, what I'm going to do tonight is to give you a broad outline of the meetings for the next four nights. There are five meetings, five Wednesdays in May, 
and we will be taking the last one to pray and to seek the Lord about the mission. Now, from the outline that I'm going to give you tonight and say a little bit about it, and then come back and deal in length with them another night, God willing, from this outline we will service the messages that we're going to preach. But how be it, having said that, will be only touching the hem of the garment. For the days of Herod the Great, although he died when he was four, there was a lot of, Jesus was four, and Herod Antipas covers the earthly ministry and right through to after, as I have said, the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I suggest to you that there are seven great similarities, comparable compatible. comparable uh, compatible par- comparisons between the days of Herod the king, or Herod's the king, and the days of Charles King of England that we are putting a crown upon on Saturday. There are three negatives, and there are four positive things about these days. And it's from those things I want to try and instruct you tonight. Now, the first thing that I need to do is to set the scene. And the way that I can set the scene is regarding the nation of Israel at this time. The nation of Israel at this time were in great reproach. That's my first heading, great reproach. They were in, repre- they were in, in re- re- oppression and under the hand of Rome. Just as they are now, the Israel is now, they're not only surrounded, they're surrounded now, but they're not conquered. But they were conquered in these days. They were captives, they were slaves in their own land. When you come to the last dot of Malachi, and those white pages between Malachi and Matthew, from the last dot in Malachi to the first title in Matthew, there are 400 years. They're called the 400 silent years. 400 years when there was no word from God. No Urim, no Thummim, no prophet, no preacher, absolutely nothing. Complete and utter silence and darkness. Heaven was shut up for 400 years. Now that might seem a long time to us, but it's not that long to the Lord. Intertestamental uh, periods is a period is what it's called, 20 generations of people. Now, when the Lord finished speaking at the end of Malachi to the people, it was because for a reason. And if you want to read through the chapters of Malachi, I think there's only maybe four chapters, you will see that he turned away from them, shut up heaven because of the rebellion because of their sin, because of their, and here's the phrase is used in Malachi, because of their abuse of power. Their abuse of power. And their abuse of blessing. I tell you, my friend, it's a dangerous thing to abuse blessings. You remember that. The blessings that God gives to us we will be tied us, as my mother used to say, will be tied us if we abuse the blessings. There was a continual rejection in the days of Malachi to the word of God. 
their particular attitude to the word, to tithes and offerings, there were robbing God, vexed God. And I haven't time to develop these tonight in the modern day. They polluted the offerings that they gave. They gave the old blind and the lame, sick of the flock and the herd to the Lord and kept the best for themselves. And God hid his face, and not only that, but he cursed them with a curse. And he shut heaven up for 400 years. You don't play with God. You don't play with his word. He hid his face. There was no man to stand in the gap. There was no Jeremiah. There was no Isaiah. There was no Daniel. There was no Elijah. There was no Habakkuk. There was no Josiah. Not one of them. And the word of God tells me in that period the seed was corrupted. That's the children. You read it for yourself. The seed was corrupted. The blessings were cursed. And the heavens were closed. And God's curse was on the people. It was like another time could be written over the Micah The glory has departed from the people. Their sin and their iniquity and their idolatry shut the face of God away from them for all those years. Now, as always, hallelujah for this, as always, God works all things together for good. As always, God has a bigger picture. He has a greater scene. And because tonight maybe you feel that there's darkness all around you and there's no word from heaven and nothing seems to be happening in your life and it seems to be going on and on day after day, year after year, I wonder how these people thought. But remember this, our sister sang on Sunday night, it's always darkest before the dawn. And you could write no better statement over this period. It's always darkest before the dawn. And I'll tell you the dawn came, and it came quickly and powerfully. I tell you, it did. You see, the Word of God tells us why he has shut up heavens. But you know, there's a whole lot of other things that God was doing behind the scenes. There were 400 prophecies in the Old Testament regarding the coming of the Messiah to be fulfilled. There was a prophecy regarding John the Baptist to be fulfilled. There was a whole plethora of things going on that God was moving and preparing the hills and the valleys and the valleys and the mountains were brought low and the roads were being made by Rome so that they could take the gospel. And we haven't time to dwell on this tonight, but my friend, it's a very interesting study. That God was preparing the scene. He was making the way for the coming of his son into the world. When the fullness of time was come. And the fullness of time came exactly when God said it would. And in the way God said it would in the Old Testament. So on one hand he shut them out because of their sin. But on another hand he's preparing the way for a better day. And he's doing the same today. In the darkness of our nation and the darkness of our church, he's making a way, my friend, and it's going to be mighty. It's going to be mighty. 
mighty, I tell you, when it comes, when God moves, he takes big steps. There's no doubt, there's no doubt whatsoever that the state of our nation today is not one bit better than the state of the land in Herod's day. Now, I'm not comparing King Charles with Herod. He's not on the same league at all. But I want to say this to you, that there's a godliness and a holiness and an integrity and an equity that's not in our nation today. And there are many, many, many things, my friend, in these scriptures, if we had time to take them out, that I can show you they're compatible comparisons without any doubt. And I could line them one after the and I will be doing in these next nights if you just come. When we look at the state of the House of Windsor, the House of Parliament, the House of Lords, you see, the problem is, and this will not be mentioned and will never be mentioned in the next week or any week from the headquarters of our nation, sin and wrath. You'll not hear about the wrath of God and the great wrath of God and the exceeding wrath of God as the Scripture. You don't hear about that. You don't hear about sin. That's the problem. And until we address the sin problem, we're only putting sticky plasters on the thing. And a new king with a new crown will not solve the situation. Or a golden chariot will not solve the situation in our land. There's only one, one solving for sin, and that's Christ. That's the blood. Yes. Remember in the days of Nehemiah, when, the, when his brother brought the word to him when he was in captivity, here's what his brother said to him. He says, Nehemiah, the provinces are in great captivity and affliction and reproach. The walls are down and the gates are burned with fire. He sat down and he wept and he prayed and he fasted. He didn't jump about and shout and sing. And it's nothing to do with me. It had everything to do with him. He wasn't even, he was, he wasn't, he, he was never in Israel. He was born in captivity. Yet his heart was burdened. Isaiah said, listen to what Isaiah said about the nation. He says, a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, evildoers, corruptors, and the country is desolate, and strangers devour the land. The Muslims have taken most of the churches in England. To have one herd, one of the herds, king of the nation of Israel, over God's chosen people shows me how grieved God was and how far gone they had gone. How far back they had gone. From David, the second king, and Saul wasn't God's choice of a king, but he was a king. David, from David... The man after God's own heart, Solomon, Josiah, Hezekiah, Asa, Jehoshaphat, you name all the kings. Every one of them came because it says in Jeremiah that the king must come from amongst the people. This boy is not from amongst the people. 
I'll tell you who he is. He's an Edomite. The one that bore this, held the scepter, and wore the crown was an Edomite. This should have been in the godly line in the descendant of Jacob, but it came, he came, Herod's came from the descendant of Esau. And hated God. They hated God. They hated his word. They hated his people. And like Cain, and like Haman, and like the Herods, and like the Hitlers, their aim and burden and bent of their desire was to wipe out the seed. That's what old Herod tried to do, wipe out the seed of the all young boys. And now they're ruling over them. And this fellow's ruling, ruling Herod, all the land of Palestine, that's Galilee, Samaria, and the east of Jordan. Listen to what George Campbell Morgan says about these days. Imagine God's chosen people. Imagine God's blessed people being reigned over by a tyrant, a wicked, evil, ungodly king that didn't belong to the people. That's where sin brought them. And that's where sin's bringing us to. Listen to what George Campbell Morgan says. They were in such tyranny and bondage, they were bludgeoned into submission. Now listen to what he says. No man, woman, boy or girl could peep or chirp or mutter or call anything, including their soul, their own. And then he goes on to say, this, Morgan says, this was the darkest hour the world has ever seen. So they were in great reproach. Now we'll be developing that in the nights that lie ahead. The second thing that we see similar, they were in great retreat. Apart from a handful, a remnant, whom we are going to look at. We're going to look at a remnant who stood in the midst of all this and whom God used and blessed. For there's always a remnant. Hallelujah. But the rest of them capitulated to the fear of the Caesars. Now listen to what I'm going to say. I'm teaching you tonight. Herod Antipas bought and bribed the Jews and he built them a temple. You've often heard it, Herod's temple. But he ran it. I want you when I'm saying this, you think of the situation in the church today in the nation. He ran it. He was a genius politically at politically maneuvering. He built them a temple, but he forbid them to offer the sacrifices of sheep, lambs, and heifers. But he, he wanted them to offer the sacrifice of pigs, which were an abomination to the Jew. Secondly, there were two high priests, Annas and Caiaphas. The word of God distinctly clear about one high priest 
And he remained until death, and he was coming from the priesthood. But there were two high priests here. They came from neither. They were a father and son-in-law. Manipulating job. So when we come to this portion of the retreat, the run, the race, the way, and they're letting them take over and do what they like, politically, spiritually, the whole thing's in a mess, the temple's in a mess. We have so much, my dear friends, to apply to the church and to the nation. The third or is uh, a great similarity is a reunion. I want to whet your appetite with this now. It's not the sort of reunion that you would want to be hearing about. Do you know that we read twice that the Herodians, that was the political party, Herod's political party, they were the, they were the front men for the terrorists. And we have plenty of them about he had this political party he had called the Herodians. They were of the same mindset as Herod and he was instructing them. And we read twice that the Herodians and the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees linked up twice, united with them twice against Christ to kill him. And if you study it, and I'll be bringing it out next week, you'd notice the two times that they linked together. Now, they were completely opposite. The Pharisees and the scribes would have died for the Mosaic law. There were 613 prohibitions, and they knew every one of them. They were out-and-out zealots to the Torah and to the law, and these other crowd were completely and utterly against it with one aim, politically or militarily or whatever way, to destroy it. Yet they came together. Yet they came together. Of course, that happened before in Scripture, and it happened after. It happened at the cross. And we have today, I tell you, a band of rascals. or nothing else. Come raiding together, and there's one attack, and it's coming from inside. There's just one attack to destroy the old gospel and the blood and the cross. And they're making a good job of it. But you'll not hear any of those things mentioned. It's, I tell you this, my dear friend, and I know this is going far and wide tonight. It's, it's, it's not bordering on blasphemy. It is blasphemy. When adulterers carry a scepter with the Holy Ghost or the emblem on it, when they're anointed with oil, that's the peaks of the Holy Ghost in the Scriptures with their hand on the book. Blasphemy. That's what it is. Surely you can see that from yourself. Do you not? Do we not see it? Here's the Herodians Herod's wicked evil men 
joining together and coming together with the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees with one aim, to destroy Christ. That's what it says. They came together to destroy him. And they're coming together today to destroy the old word and the old gospel and the old truth and the old hymns and anything they can get their hands on. But you see, excuse me, you have the reproach, you have the retreat, you have the reunion. But there are four negatives which we haven't time to go into tonight, and we're not, we're doing them another night, but I just want to mention to them, first of all, there is the resolve or the resilience. Do you know that there were eight? Hallelujah! There were eight in these days of darkness. That's all that went into the ark, you know. There were eight in these days of darkness. And God had his people, and boy, he had good ones. But the top one, the best. The last one, the best of all. He had Zacharias and Elizabeth. The priest and his wife and their son, John the Baptist. What a family. What a family. I tell you, God needs families to stand in these days. You'll see that most of these are couplets. There was, there was Zacharias, the priest, and Elizabeth. There was Mary and Joseph. There was Simeon and Anna. That's seven. But let me tell you, the eighth one has no comparableness. The Lord Jesus Christ himself. <laughs> oh, it's him. We can't compare him with anyone. I tell you, he didn't bring an old torn sacrifice. No, he didn't. He didn't bring the lame of the lambs or of the flock. No, he gave himself for us. And you begin to think of this and marvel at this tonight and in the darkness of those 400 years, suddenly, twice, the Holy Ghost heaven opened. John the Baptist and to Mary. To Zacharias and Elizabeth and to Mary. Just like that, heaven opened. Now, <laughs> It's not a bit of wonder Herod quivered. It's not a bit of wonder he tried to destroy him. Where's he that is born? King of the Jews. We want to worship him. No, we want to destroy him. You see, my friend, there was a remnant who stood, a remnant who were resolved and wouldn't budge in the midst of all this. They had minds like ours, you know, they had a choice. Then the word came to Mary. Unto you is born this day a city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and forever. Hallelujah. 
Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government. This is the king I'm looking for. This is the king of kings who's coming back to reign. And he'll reign in equity and justice and righteousness. He's the king of kings. He's the lord of lords. He was always king. He was born a king. He lived a king. He died a king. He rose again a king. And he's coming again as king of kings. To reign. Ah, my eyes are on him. I'm not saying that you shouldn't celebrate the coronation. I'm not saying that at all. Don't be going home and saying I am. I'm not saying that I'm only pointing out what the word of God shows us. As long as you do it in the right motives. Because I can tell you there's plenty of people on the Protestant side of the house do it for the wrong motives, to do it to aggravate. And I know people will go out this weekend and they'll paint footpaths and they'll put banners up and they'll do that. They can do whatever they like. I'm not the law, I can't stop them. They can do whatever they like. But are they doing it from the right motive? And I've seen someone sent out in the Facebook, Facebook showed me, I haven't got it, but it was shown to me today about Michelle O'Neill wrapped in a union flag over at the coronation. That's not my business nor yours either. So it's not. You can have your own views on that, whatever you like. But our hearts must be right and our motives must be right. But I worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Listen to what listen to this Isaiah 9 again as we call, as we close. Unto us the Son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. And, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. And upon the throne of David he will reign in judgment and in justice. And remember, friends, that this king was crowned with thorns. He's crowned with glory now. Boy, to put those, whap those big, long Palestinian thorns and knelt them down and he was stripped naked and they put a, a chain round his neck and they held him arched like this. I tell you, there was no golden chariot. There was no fun fair. It was immorality and butchery at its worst, and I swept it down his lovely back until it was ploughed like a field. And I hammered those crown of thorns down on his lovely brow. It wasn't a golden crown. It was a crown of thorns. And he had to wear the crown of thorns before he could wear the crown of glory. And he had to wear the crown of thorns so that I, the curse, would be removed from me. Hallelujah. For not only did the coronation reach from Anna, but Christ reached it too. And my sins were washed away. Oh, listen, take on board what you've heard tonight. And of course, there's repentance. 
And then there's revival. There's more negative, there's more positives than there is negatives. John the Baptist came preaching repentance. You'll not hear anything about that. But as it was in the days of Herod, king of Judah, so is it in the days of Charles III, king of England. That'll do us tonight. Let us pray.